On this week's Bet the Process podcast from CES, I'm in Vegas, Rufus is in Boston. We're going to be going over the national championship game. And we do a little experiment where we say if we were odds makers and we could demand a rematch next week, what would make the line and what position would we try to put on? We'll also be talking about the NFL and we go through every single divisional round game and give you a pick in every single one. As always, the Bet the Process podcast is brought to you by the Sports Action app, which is the number one app for tracking all of your betting information, etc. And it's available for free on the Google Play Store and the iTunes Store. So with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, bet. Bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. Welcome to the Bet the Process podcast, the CES version. I'm in. Vegas for one day of meetings for NCES, and I use meetings in quotation fingers. Refer to you in Boston. I am. I'll be in Vegas next weekend. Got it. How long are you going to be in Vegas for? Through the Super Bowl. Wow, you're going to be taking down props left and right. That's the plan. Are you going to actually give? Are we going to do like a props podcast? But we're going to give people like zero value because you will have moved all the ones with value. Well, it's actually that's not true because I think there will be value right before kickoff. Generally, the value is right when the props open and there's some rogue numbers, and then also right before the game kicks off and you have a bunch of squares moving things, um, betting things towards the over and betting the yeses on things happening. So I'm just going to like when the numbers come out, just bet all the nos and bet all the unders. Is that a good strategy? Actually, you could bet the yeses and bet the overs when the numbers come out and then bet the noes and bet the unders when the game's about to start because basically the lines get bet into shape by by sharps early on. Numbers normally come out starting the Thursday after the conference championship games, and and generally most places are out by Sunday. And so the next week, sort of middle of next week, the lines are pretty sharp. And so... um, then I kind of hold off and wait until Saturday and Sunday, and then numbers become inflated and get bet out of whack, and you can get some really, really good value. But generally, yeah, if I if I like an over early in the week, I want to hit. If I like an over, I want to hit that earlier on. Generally, and um, I mean, but there are rogue numbers, just really bad numbers that that books put out. Uh, for example, the win. I wouldn't I wouldn't say this if it, if it weren't for the fact that Johnny Avello went to DraftKings and is no longer making their props, but he he would open. Um, Will there be a roughing the passer penalty at like minus one fifteen each side for a few straight years? And and that's you know, a roughing the passer penalty happens like one out of every four games, maybe. Um three games. I mean, it was it was something like minus two eighty true price or something crazy like that. And uh so so there's opportunities like that. Interesting. So you don't think there'll be that value anymore because Johnny Avello's now at DraftKings? Yeah, I don't think there'll be value on that specific prop, but there will be some, there will be that much value on on a prop. Uh, there, there are always ones that are mispriced because the books are pricing so many different props, and and there's just occasionally one slips through the cracks, and that's why if you're the first one there to hit it, um, you can get some really good value. 
So do you, um, do you think there are many other groups? Like, I assume that you think that you're like a top five props better because it's sort of like a very prideful thing for you. Cause you, that's how you got your start. Would well, you know, not anymore, Jeff, I don't think, cause I, I, I don't do, I only do props for the Super Bowl at this point. So I'm not really spending nearly as much time on props as I used to. Got it. Sarah so has been, was, or has been. never will be, never was, never, never will know. be. Yeah. Has, uh, let's stick with has been, but okay. I get the question is, are there a lot of other people out One there? One thing is sure for sure, by the way, you love talking about props. <laughs> yeah. You do. It's, it's, uh, I can see the gleam in your eyes through the internet. Um, it's, it's, a, it's like a little twinkle. Uh, did you have something else to say? Sorry, I cut you off. Well, I think you were asking me if there are other groups out there that are doing yeah, this, yeah. right? And, and there are. And I think that well, you also have a lot of people that are trying to middle props. So they'll see that the Westgate opens with, you know, some players rushing yards at 62 and a half and right. another place opens at 68 and a half and they'll take the over 62 and a half and the under 68 and a half. Or, you know, they'll take plus 130 on the yes interception and minus 120 on the no interception. So they'll right. basically, um, they'll arb things and uh, make those markets more tight. But I generally stay away from those straight arbs unless, I mean, we could, unless there's an edge on both sides, right? If I, if I thought the true price on an interception was no minus 125, then sure, I'll take, you know, yes at plus 130 and no at minus 120. But otherwise, um, there's probably only value on one side of those. So well, if you're willing to be a little more risky. Like, in those cases, because the limits are going to make like $5 a bet or something. Yeah, that's like true. That. Well, yeah, limits vary, I guess, from 500 to uh, a few grand. Yeah, but I'm even. Anyways, uh, okay. So you want to talk about the national championship game where Bet the Process podcast was triumphant? I feel we like were we finally won a future. We had told people Clemson, and I had some Clemson at like plus three ninety five from when we talked about it on the podcast. We won't talk about the Oklahoma or the Virginia Tech or the Georgia or the Michigan uh, futures that I think net net. I ended up making like a little bit of money on the futures that we recommended on the show. Not very much, but a little bit. Nice. Yeah. I, I saw all these Georgia ones that I had to grade as losers in Virginia Tech's exactly. But, <laughs> but uh, Clemson, I mean, there was, there was a time when we, when we really thought, I think the thing that was a little frustrating for me is I feel like we should have gone a little bit larger on Clemson at when it was plus 400, because it was pretty clear at that point that that was like a tremendous amount of value. No, I completely agree there. It was just, it's because it is such a low price, relatively speaking, that you're not going to put down that much. Whereas, you know, if you're getting something at 100 to one, you know, you you're, you could cash a, a, you know, quite a big ticket. I think for I mean, me, part of it was that I had already rolled out all these futures that um, were in my portfolio mm -hmm. that it, like Clemson was like, I got sort of excited to, to, to do the Georgia futures and we kind of got pretty big on them at one point. And then by the time yeah. we were taking the Clemson futures, we already had so much in our portfolio that I was almost like, I'm like, feel like I'm walking in a loss here. Like, unless, you know, unless Alabama loses, which they did obviously. So they did. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I would say for me, Clemson was the second best probably behind Oklahoma. Oh, best outcome for you. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Georgia might've been up there too. Georgia was know. the best outcome for me. And then I think, I think Clemson also was the second best, um, but I wish I'd put like as much as I had on Georgia. 
did I you? So did, did wait? Did you bet Clemson for the game as well? I did. I did. I didn't bet any money line, which I kind of wish I had. Um, I felt pretty strongly that the market was off. Um, I think given sort of the numbers that I saw, and then I thought that that um, the discussion that you got into with Seth on Twitter was pretty interesting in that his assessment um, I thought was actually not a very good assessment. Um, he basically, you know, as, as much respect as I have for him, the notion that they were a monster and had, you know, and we talked about this last week on the pod, you know, they went and their defense was somewhat suspect. And then they shut out LSU and they shut out Mississippi state, but LSU had a questionable offense at times, similarly with Mississippi state. And even that Mississippi state game, you remember that game, that game could have been much closer than it ended up being 24, nothing, all those sort of weird things happened with Mississippi state one, you know, the, the fumble, the, the phantom push in the back, when they were going in for a touchdown, I think there was a, a punt, a muff punt that led to an early Alabama touchdown. So anyways, that, and then, and then he mentioned the idea of strength of schedule, which when, you know, like games against Citadel, which you felt you responded in, in, in saying that they, they weren't a big factor in your ratings, right? No, no, we, we, we don't do, we don't do the FCS games, which, you know, I think that can hurt us, especially with some of these lower rated, you know, FBS. I always get confused with these, acronyms lower rated division one a teams uh you know playing some of these better one double a teams like the north dakota or north dakota state or whichever eastern washington's of the world that tend to be good but just say Furman. Furman is all you need Furman. To Furman. <laughs> is that who so, florida state played no they played samford the other year it was like last year i think right and lost yeah i almost. applied I applied to Stanford by accident because I thought I was applying to Stanford. And then when I got in, I was super happy. And then I realized it wasn't Stanford. <laughs> you realized you got into MIT. Oops. Yeah. I was trying to get into RIT, which is in, in upstate New York. And I ended up going to MIT. Anyway, wait, back to the Seth Burns thing, though. There was, I don't know if it was him that made the, the point, but somebody made a point that, you know, Alabama was up by on average like 27 points at the half or something like that and clemson was only up by 17 I, those numbers might not be correct oh but interesting basically alabama so was like up the by, first by half more. was a better predictor right and so overall i use situational weighting and i i dk basically based on the leverage of a situation so extremely low leverage situations are going to be um, much less predictive of the future however it, and it's fit though so to best predict the future. So basically there is some signal in somewhat low leverage situations um, and some signal in very, in very low leverage situations overall, but there could be some sort of team specific random effect. So say like Alabama just doesn't try in these situations, whereas an average team does, and there would be signal from an average team's performance, but there are these teams like Alabama possibly where they just play differently. So that's something that that my model fit would fail to capture. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I think like it, it couldn't it just be as simple as like there just was this groundswell narrative that, you know, all of a sudden that Alabama was this elite team and, you know, Clemson never, you know, like you can talk about how Trevor Lawrence wasn't in the Heisman conversation. He wasn't in like the top quarterback conversation. And all of a sudden after that game, people were saying that, you know, he would be the number one pick for sure. 
and people should start stocking up draft picks for 2021 so they can land him. Well, I think so everybody thought he was going to be a top draft pick when he came out, like in two or you know in 2020. No, but now they're saying too, like, but, he's this but he's a freshman now, so. No, I know, but now there's you don't think that like the per- perception on him has like 100, not 100, but it has like become you know overly crazy after that game, after one game. Yeah, I mean the hype machine is is on full blast. Very and it very nice before. Uh, what do you think the numbers should have been? Well, in, in retrospect, I think it should have been Clemson minus 28, no, knowing what I know. Okay. Point. Well, I think it should. So I said that's it should have been Clemson or Clemson plus one and point three, I guess. Alabama minus 1.3 going into the game. And, and I mean, knowing what I know now, like if they had to replay this game, you know, next weekend, I would say Clemson minus a half a point. So basically close to a pick. Okay, so you're but, but you're given where like, the market was at the time. Like, I still I still don't think Clemson is a much better team than Alabama. If they are, I think they're they're pretty damn evenly matched teams. Well, how, okay, let's let's put it this way: you're an odds maker in um, New Jersey, and they decide they're going to replay this game next week. Um, what do you make the line? Ew, that's a good question. Um. What do I, the question is, what do I anticipate? Where do I anticipate the action is going to come versus what do I actually think the true line should be? I think the true line should be right around a pick. Um, maybe Clemson minus a point, but um, I think that I would end up making it Bama minus one or minus two. Maybe it's, even it's, it's a, well, it's a, it's a fascinating question in some respects, right? Because you're balancing the sort of like numbers, the anchoring or the framing or the priors of the numbers coming into that game with the overreaction or recency bias of what happened in that game. And I guess what I want to know from you is like, what would you want your portfolio to end up looking like, or how would you, how would you craft this line to, to make your portfolio what you wanted? Like, would you, would you want even action and just collect big or would you want to take a position? You know, I'd want to take a position if I could take a position that was positive EV. But the question is, would it be in, like, would there be a big overreaction? And I think that if you're talking, if you're getting the majority of volume from square betters who, you know, they're probably going to overreact to this game, whereas sharp betters probably are not. So, um, I just, I honestly don't know where the line would end up though. And, you know, I, I did a Twitter, well, not a poll. I should have done a poll. I, I asked people what they thought the line would be if the game was played next week. And people said, a bunch of people were like, Clemson minus seven, Clemson minus three. And then you had people that were like, pick Alabama minus three. So, um, okay, honestly, so I think, let's, let's, yeah. let's play this out for a second. So the line was minus uh, five. six. Five, five, I think it closed at five. But it bounced between five and six. Yeah, late money so came in on Clemson. The next big number is Alabama minus, say, three. So I think we all agree that it should go down to at least three. Should it go below three? So here's the thing. I liked Clemson going into this. I think that the market's going to overreact too much to this one game, thinking that Clemson was dominant and Alabama stunk. Um, but I still don't think that... 
I, I, I don't know if it would react enough to get to my number. Well, Mike, talk a little bit about that, because I know you tweeted out about this idea that Alabama was not nearly as dominated by Clemson as people believed. They had turnovers. They didn't have the explosive plays. Um, and they so they, they ended well, they had that they, that, that, that that touchdown on their second drive. They, they didn't have as many explosive plays, right? That's that's what you said. Yes, I'm, I'm yes, just I'm true. just quoting you, Rufus. I'm yeah. not trying to argue with you. I'm quoting you, right? And I'm saying right. that like your game grades only had Clemson two points better, right? Right, and that's because the yards per play was not too far apart. Alabama lost the turnover battle to nothing and they lost on third and fourth down where Alabama, I think was four for 13 on third down, whereas Clemson was 10 for 15. So third down plays, fourth down plays are not more predictive than first or second down plays, but they do have a greater impact on the game outcome. So basically going forward, we wouldn't expect Clemson to be that much better on third downs than they were in first and second downs. And we wouldn't expect Alabama to be that much worse on third downs than they were on other downs. So, and then obviously the explosive plays, like gaining bigger chunks of yardage, there's a little more randomness. And Clemson, you know, um, their freshman receiver, uh, I must want to call him Tyson Ross. I, don't, I forget what his first name is, but... Um, Justin with uh, a Y. Justin Ross. Justin with Ross. With a Y. Justin Ross. Okay. Right. Uh, you know, had a few absolutely good. phenomenal catches. Yeah. And, yeah. So, I mean, there's... You know, those were great catches, but is he going to catch those so, I mean, it, it kinda nine sounds out of ten like, times? Probably not. It kind of sounds like what you'd want is you'd want to get into a valued position on Alabama. Um, so I think what you'd want to do is you'd want to open um, you'd want to open Alabama as a small favorite. So minus one or minus two, you get Clemson action, right? And then you'd have a, a position which you consider to be close to value or, or, or not. Or, I mean, would you have to, I guess the question is if you opened it as Clemson minus two, would you then just get too much Alabama action that you would end up needing Clemson? Yeah. I, I mean, the problem basically boils down to the fact that I was four points or so off the market before this game started. And I think it's going to overreact towards Clemson afterwards. And let's say it overreacts right. by three points then suddenly it's back it, the, the numbers where close to where it should be. Yeah. You're kind of fucked. Yeah. I get yeah, it. Basically. Yeah. Okay. Futures for next year. Should Clemson be the favorite that I don't know if you saw that graphic of how they adjusted, um, you know, the, the, the futures for next year as that game went on. Uh, I didn't, but I'm guessing it was a bit of an overreaction probably. Well, basically at halftime they moved it so that like, I think Clemson was like, a slight favorite over over Alabama for next year, and then at the end, Clemson was a, a you know a favorite over Alabama. Yeah, um, you know I would still you know Alabama has the number one recruiting class going into next season right now. Clemson I think is only number six according to twenty four seven Sports, uh, and they're returning both teams returning quarterbacks. Alabama didn't return a lot of starters on defense last season. They're probably going to, I mean, neither team's going to, let's be honest, both have so many pro players that you're going to have some people leaving early. But I, I think Alabama is going to be the preseason number one, where they should be. But what about the fact that Alabama has a much tougher road than Clemson does to get back to the playoffs? It's a good point. You're right. 
the SEC is certainly much tougher than the ACC, and especially being the SEC West, where you know LSU and Texas A and M, um, Texas A and M's going to come in with a really strong recruiting class as well. Um, I mean, the top. If you look at the recruiting numbers, you got like Alabama, Georgia, A and M, and LSU all in the top five, five, bringing in top five recruiting classes. So, yeah, um, you do make a good point there. I, I haven't looked at Clemson's schedule, but you know, at some point in the next month or two, I'll probably run some sims. I'm going to take Clemson. You can have Alabama. How's that sound? Sounds fair. All right. Repeating is hard to though. Remember that. It is. Uh, anything left on college that you want to talk about, or can we put the 2018-19 college season on ice? Let's put it to bed. It's to bed. Oh, one thing we should talk about is the value that we all – saw on the second half under of that oh game. good point um where do you think that came from? i mean it's just a situation like that is is tough because our numbers came out and it showed a ton of value on the under but it was still a teeny bit hard to bet because of just the notion of you know betting an under in a game like that where it seemed like it was going to be attracting oh yeah i mean you could totally you could totally have seen that game being like a 45 to 38 game or something crazy like that right where or right. like like the Alabama Clemson game of a few years ago where the shootout um, and, and I remember that game going into it I think the total was like a 49 I think I'm not talking about last year but I think two years ago in the championship game the one Clemson won I think but yeah that number I mean I don't know what you made it Jeff but but um, I I made the mean number like 27.9 and it, and it opened at 31 and a half and like we just absolutely hammered that like 31 and a half should have been if, if you make the True mean, why did like you decide? 20. Why did you decide to bet that? Because you said you weren't betting bulls. Like, why did you feel confident enough to bet that? So, I mean, this is more of a normal game because a lot of these bulls are basically glorified exhibition games, and you're going to have teams running uh, some trick plays and doing some weird stuff in the second half that they wouldn't do in a normal <clears> game. <throat> that that that's the biggest reason, especially in blowout games. But um, Alabama, Clemson, you know, basically any of these ser- more serious bowl games, and especially college football playoff ones, I think are, are much more like normal games. So I, I don't really have an issue with that um so yeah did you, I, bet, I did you end up betting any other second half second halves in the bulls um yeah i i had a little bit of over actually over 27 plus money on clemson notre dame let's see which other ones did um yeah i had i had the over in that also that was a big loser i had um we had under in that georgia uh, under Texas in georgia game. alabama oh, oh georgia alabama never mind that's that's the end of the season i'm looking um <laughs> no, I think it was basically just um just those. Actually, I, I bet the second half of Washington State, Iowa State, because I was bored. So it was a good reason to bet. Hey, one. Uh, what did you take? Iowa State? Over um under 100? 28. Got it. Plus 104. Okay, let's move on to the NFL. Um underdogs are 14 and 1 over the last two years in the NFL playoffs. Does that there. mean we, anything to you? Jeff, we never even talked. We never actually got to our original point of, of why the uh, second half number was so inflated. Oh, sorry. Why was the second half number so inflated? Well, I mean, I, there were so many points in the first half, of course. Right. But those were driven by these big explosive plays. Generally, you had the pick six. You had the, um, the long touchdown to Jerry Judy. You had um, – what else did you have? I don't know. You had a but, long, you had a long pass to Justin yeah, Ross, also. Yes, you had that. Um, you had that third down pass that went for like sixty yards to um, 
the other guy, Higgins, Higgins, no, D Higgins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so you basically had a bunch of big plays, uh, and and you can't throw out the fact that the expectation for the game, I think, like, what did it close out like fifty seven for the game total? I think it was like fifty seven sh- and a half. You shouldn't be having a total of thirty one and a half for the second half on a on a you know fifty seven and a half game total. Yeah. No matter, and it's funny no that, game, what, that game barely went over. You know that. Yeah. And did you know that that our friend uh, our friend Preston, mm-hmm. um, if that game drinking. stayed under, would have had his first alcoholic beverage. I know that would have been amazing. Except for then, I would have lost the over. So I don't know whether I'd pay that much money to have Preston uh, start drinking. Probably not. Okay. So right. okay, sorry. We'll we'll get into the NFL now. You, you so you said that underdogs are fourteen and one against the spread in the playoffs this year and last year. Is that right? So far, yeah, and that's assuming so that's obviously like giving a little the underdogs a little bit of credit in terms of like saying that that um, you know Seattle game was actually two and a half. Yeah, yeah. So Which is what it closed. Yeah. So that's fair. Yeah. So do you know what underdogs' record was in the playoffs in the two years ago, the twenty sixteen to seventeen season? Uh, bad. I'm guessing two and nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so. When you cherry so no, pick endpoints, like so, so basically now it's okay. Sixteen and sixteen and ten over the last two plus years. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't so sound arbitrary endpoints, small sample size, and also markets tend towards efficiency. So if anything, there's going to be value on the favorites this week. Um, because of this underdog narrative. I'm not saying there necessarily is because of it, but if anything, you would think that this sort of public information would make markets tend towards efficiency. I, I would agree with you on that for sure. So we'll say that means nothing, but then we go into this week. Um, <laughs> you know, I was interested in this sort of concept of the value of the buy, right? Like I think we've talked about the value of the buy being about one and a half points. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does the does that value have you shown that value to have more value later in the year than it does early in the year? Because I was reading some academic paper on this, and it was basically like looking at offense, just offense, and it was saying that the offense has performed anywhere from one to two points better over uh, the basically based on buys, and um, towards the end of the year it was closer to two, and towards the beginning of the year it was closer to one. Interesting. Um, I haven't looked at that specifically now. And honestly, I don't have the numbers in front of me in terms of what the value of the buy is in terms of um, controlling for the mass CP, what he spread in the playoffs, because uh, the way I do it, I actually don't have my historical lines for playoff games in, in the data set. Um, I kind of have to do a little bit of uh, trickery to get those, but so if you looked at whether the value comes from better offense or better defense or just better better generally, because that was you one know, of the things I found interesting too. Yeah, I actually haven't looked specific, specifically at that. Yeah, maybe, we're, um, maybe we're looking at it. Because then if you yeah, think about sure. it, maybe, maybe that's the reason Super Bowls are a little bit higher scoring too. Yeah. Because when they have the, when both offenses have a buy, it's better for the offense. Yeah, I mean, it's there certainly has been you know i was, I was i'm already doing some research for prop stuff and, and i saw basically there is an effect overall that teams tend to pass more um in the super bowl than um like it which is actually kind of statistically significant you know controlling for a week and yeah. weather and all that stuff 
You know what's ridiculous? I bet teams just play much more optimal in the Super Bowl. Probably. (laughs) Probably. But they also are in situations where passing is more optimal too. So basically, overall, the pass percentage ratio, basically the... You mean because they're like indoors? No, no, just basically game script. So I don't want to say... Like there's been more, I guess, more plays by teams that are trailing or something like that. Um, because I, I mean, basically for every play, I predict what the baseline pass percentage should be or drop back percentage uh, based on time remaining, all that stuff, leverage. And overall, you've had a higher baseline number for Super Bowls. So there's been something in the game situations that has uh, encouraged passing more, which it's it's not saying there's been fewer blowouts or anything, but I guess it, it has been more plays um, by teams that are trailing by a certain amount. That's you know they're still within range. I don't know. What so that's about- part of it. But 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 you get so so Jeff teams since 2000 um, teams coming off of buys during the regular season have covered 52.85 percent of the time. They're 269 to 240 based on the numbers I'm looking at here. Um, although that, that I'm not sure if that's current through all the games this season. Um, this is sort of a reference database I have. Uh, in the playoffs, though, 32 and 38. So oh. not, not as good. Maybe the market tends to overvalue them. Maybe, but I also think it's it's a pretty small sample. And I think right now, I think the market is undervaluing that buy. Yeah, because I think there, that's there, for sure fair. You know, there there is, I mean, think about why a buy is fundamentally valuable. You you have players that get more healthy and you have more time to prepare for an opponent. During the regular season, you know who the opponent is. And so you can be game plan. The coaches can be game planning for two weeks. The one thing in the playoffs, you don't necessarily know who the opponent is. And I actually think New England probably spent a lot of time last week looking at what how they would play against Baltimore because Baltimore was is such a different team. And I think that would have been a huge, massive advantage for New England. You don't think they spent a lot of time Baltimore. thinking about Houston? Because that's who they probably would have played, right? Sorry? Yeah. Houston and Indy was a the game was close to a pick. I don't know. Yeah. I mean my thought is I mean they've they've they're more familiar with Houston. Belichick I think they I think they Obama. probably looked at Houston a few times like, over the gonna... years. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think, think they I, were concerned about Houston. No, I don't think so either. Belichick and I don't actually think they were. Brian, I don't think like. they were concerned against Baltimore either. I I would have loved for them to have been able to play Baltimore, just because I do think that Belichick would have designed something similar to what San Diego to what the Chargers did, and it would have ended up, you know, Baltimore would have ended up doing nothing. San Diego, as a Patriots fan, San Diego, or sorry, the Chargers, the L.A. Chargers, are the one team I did not want them to. But the Chargers are a pretty good matchup in terms of all these sort of tangentially, well, I guess situational things. I mean, the travel, Baltimore, uh, the Chargers flew to Baltimore, flew back to L.A., which, I mean, I wouldn't have done that. But, you know, they didn't know where they were going when they booked that flight, I guess, to to Baltimore to begin with. So Yeah, and they don't want to pay the change fee. They should fly Southwest. It's easier to change (laughs) fees on Southwest. They probably, you know. BWI is uh, is a Southwest hub, so it would have been very convenient. Yeah, they could have gone into Providence, which is much <laughs> closer to Foxborough. I'm sure there's directs between BWI and Providence. Exactly. Um, they could have had so, a whole Southwest flight to themselves, and imagine all the pretzels and peanuts they would have got, and those weird cheese it things or Ritz things that they have. Yeah, Anyways, I fly a lot of Southwest. 
And I actually love Southwest Airlines. Maybe we can get them as a sponsor. They'd be great. That'd be nice. No, so I mean, but 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 the cross country so travel does matter. And and can I, can um, I ask you one thing on this: the time zone stuff and the can weather. Sorry. Yes. Okay. So there, I, there's two good segues in what I want to talk about. One, there's this historical trend about Belichick in the first round. So when I was on Tony Kornheiser this morning, I kind of talked to them about this 14 and one underdog thing. And they were basically like, Tony especially was surprised that it w- wasn't weighing into what I was doing. And I was trying to explain why. And then he asked about sort of like Belichick in the first round in this, in this round. And the numbers are like astronomical and how he does in this round. Do you think about that at all? Or is that just something that like makes you feel more confident in a pick when you might see value on New England in this round? Um, I don't think about it, but I'm going to actually query this right now. The Patriots, what it's this particular round? This particular round when they have a bye. What years are you talking about? I don't know. Whatever years that Belichick's been there. Okay. A seven and four. Is that it? Pretty good. Against the spread? Pretty good. Three games over. Yeah. I mean, 63.6%. Yeah, I'll take that. We can make a lot of money with that percentage, laying 110. Yeah. Uh, All right. So we're basically saying, like, you don't give a shit on that. No. And and Belichick coming off the bye in Super Bowls is only three and five against the spread. There you go. Well, but that's not this round. They both have buys in that situation. We talked about how in, in those situations, like, Anyways, okay. It, it, uh, having more time, like, but but we've also said that the the less time you have to prepare, the more coaching probably matters. Sure. So um, we've talked about this ad nauseum, so I don't want to talk about it. Let's yeah. talk about the weather because the weather is interesting. So you That's, tweeted out early in the week what the weather forecast was going to be in New England. At that time, the line, the total was forty six and a half. I don't know if it was your tweet. Or what? But the line, the, the at that point, the uh, total moved down to forty-five, and it has since moved back up to forty-seven. Well, I'll tell you why. It's so before there was snow in the forecast. When I tweeted, it said snow showers, and then some people were talking about oh, a foot of snow, and now it's looking like it's not going to be any precipitation. So, uh, although snow doesn't really have a huge effect on scoring. Sure. So my point is that your tweet created a lot of value on the over. I think there's value on the over at 47, and it's certainly at 45. There was a ton really? of value. What, what do you make it? Uh, I don't have the exact number, but I think higher than 45, 47. I make it 48. We have value of 46 and a half, right. Um, okay. So anyways, my point is that like all this weather prediction, right, there was – it seems like there's been a bit of overreaction to the weather, right? Yeah, yeah. I think so. So anyways, are you going to bet the over or did you bet the over at 45? No, I mean, that's, yeah, I make it 47.9. That's not a big enough edge. Even at, I 45, mean, at, 45, not a... at 40, at 45. Yeah. But I did, you know, I, I wasn't, um, well, but you I, said I, that tweet my out. I thought you sent that tweet out to try to get value on the over. And <laughs> I thought you were some mastermind. Let's but see. clearly, you're just Rufus P. Firefly. Actually, actually, after updating precipitation numbers and new temperature, I'm up to 48.2, Jeff. So maybe there was some fundamental, maybe there were fundamentals driving that move. Yeah, there you go. I'm telling you, the over. 
I wish I, I think, got it. I wish I got. I wish I had waited to bet it until you had sent your tweet out. Instead, your tweet just made me go, "Oh shit, I'm probably on the wrong side on this." So, well, I tweeted out that I also I tweeted out that I liked the chefs at at five, and and that game is still at five. It's gone. It <laughs> well, was no, you know that actually like moved to six and then moved back to five. It did. And so no one has any respect for you in the NFL as they no. should, as they should have, as they, as they shouldn't have or should have, shouldn't have. I mean, they've been, my, my recent record has not been great. No, no. Although you're, you finally got your cashed in your anti-Alabama sentiment. So that's good. That is good. And we so, kudos to Seth Byrne for promptly paying off his charity bet with you. Kudos to him. He did. Uh, anything else on NFL or you want to get into picks? Well, I think we should go through, we can go through these games and give our opinions. Cause I think we both have opinions on basically at least leans on most of these games. So, so let, you want to, let, let's finish up this new England chargers game. So it looks like you don't have a pick on this. I don't, right? I don't know. I and do. I know. And it's, it's interesting because when I was breaking this down this morning for Tony Kornheiser, I basically said, you take into account home field and you take into account the buy, this is basically saying that the Chargers in New England are even. And even if you add in sort of these tangential effects that you think are going to have impact, i.e. like the weather, which probably favors New England, the travel, which favors New England, the time of day, which favors New England, you have a thing that just pure fundamentals would favor New England at minus four. Yes? No? Wait, you're saying would I would if I didn't have that, would I still like New England at minus four? No, I'm basically just saying like you could know nothing about these teams from a personnel standpoint and assume they're relatively equal. Yeah. And based on all of these factors, New England minus four would still be like value without knowing much about the teams. Yeah. So did I steal your thunder there? A little? No. I'm trying to steal your thunder. I kind of think that line's gonna go down though. You know, I'm actually surprised go. it didn't go up, but you know, I just it, it just felt. I mean, the the price just felt so low to me, and and I mean, just because you have a Chargers team that that is dealing with some injuries, they're a little banged up, and um, and uh, you know, you, they do have the travel, they do have the weather they're dealing with, and you do have a rest of New England team, and and New England. I don't know. I mean, I I just thought that New England would be getting a little bit more respect with the market, and I actually grabbed New England minus four early because I sort of expected that that was going to be the best price I would get it at. And it's not a play on Massey Peabody. Massey Peabody makes it only a four and a half point spread, but the player model, which like worships Tom Brady, um, abs- like as, do, as we all do. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, I Does mean, right now, like, un- unregressed, unregressed to the market number. I make it 55.2% cover probability at, at minus four. But I got it. I bet it early because I thought that basically, like, it, at the closing price, I might not be betting this. You know, if if, if it was minus four at the close, but um, early in the week, I'm not going to give the market as much respect there. So, like, because I bet this literally on Sunday before I even ran the numbers on the Chargers win, and I and the Chargers improved a little more than I expected they would. So um, that plays into it too. But I'm I am on I'm, I am down already on new england minus four yeah I, I get it um i think i think the reason i think the line will go down is i think the narrative right now is that this isn't the new england patriots this isn't your 
parents, New England Patriots. This is a New England's Patriots team, which isn't very good. Um, and you can say all of that, but there's the, the Patriots never wow you with talent, with the exception of like what one or two years, right? Where they had the, the Randy Moss, Moss era. Other than that, it's always just coach them up and a bunch of like players that are and you know, I I think what'll be interesting is um, here's what I guess they will do. They are going to spread the Chargers out. They are going to do quick hitting plays. They're going to go. They're going to try to run out of a spread, um, and they're going to try to take the pass rush 100% completely out of this picture. And if they're able to do that, i.e., if the Julian Edelman's and the Kevin Hogan's and the James White's and the Rex Burkhead's of the world are shorthanded and make those like short catches and are able to take, you know, three yard catches or two yard catches and turn them into seven or eight yard catches. I think they'll win this game and cover. Um, but if Brady ends up getting into, you know, third and medium third and long situations, I think they're going to have trouble. Yeah. And, and the Chargers are very deep at defensive back. I mean, we've all, we all heard that the Chargers played seven DBs against the Ravens and they, and the thing is part of that's due to the fact that they're banged up at the linebacker position anyway. And so they kind of, part of it's by necessity, but, um, but that's, um, I mean, I think that was extreme. I mean, they're extremely deep there and the Patriots do have a lot of guys that they employ. And so, I mean, I, I, it doesn't seem like a great matchup to me, but um, I mean, to me, honestly, it's kind of funny that the, the, the chargers be able to use seven DBs, and that was to stop a rushing attack. It, it seems kind of counterintuitive, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But it, yeah, it but, does. but I mean, obviously, the Ravens are not a traditional rushing attack, and I guess they figured the Chargers figured if they could stop Gus Edwards and uh, like up the middle, basically, um, with all these DBs, they could counter Lamar Jackson and, and his speed on the outside with with the DBs. So yeah. Um, yeah, the Chargers D is obviously very talented. So, uh, but you're right. The pass rush is going to be a huge thing, and the Patriots are, you know, Tom Brady doesn't get sacked a lot, but you know, his sack rate is higher than it has been in, in at least looking at my prop projections for his sack numbers. It's higher than I remember it being. I don't want to say it's higher this year than it's been in recent years. Yeah, I think I think it'll be. I think honestly, it's going to be a lot of this this spread quick quick stuff that they've done in the past and that they do well. Um, but there's very little margin for error when they do that, because if you have an incomplete pass or you get tackled for a loss, all of a sudden that those quick passes are no longer going to get you the first down. Yeah. So vintage path stuff. Okay. Remember, remember before Tom Brady was Tom Brady, like remember, well, I guess he, they, they won three Super Bowls without a, any sort of real dominant offense. So. Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, let's should we hit the other AFC game? Kansas City minus you have them at minus five now. Yeah, it's down to minus five at Pinnacle, minus five and a half at Bookmaker. I mean, what do we want to call it? I think it's minus five and a half personally, but okay, we can call and it whatever. You like it? We'll keep it five and a half. You like Kansas City? Is that correct? Yes, we both like Kansas City. I, although for me, this is kind of the same thing as the New England game. I, I actually thought that the li- the line would move towards Kansas City, and I thought by getting five on like early, and I think this was actually bet on Saturday. Yeah, I think you texted, you tweeted out that you saw value on Kansas City for the first time this year. So yeah, yeah, and so 
I think also the fact that I've been low in Kansas City all year and the fact that I showed value there kind of, to me, means that there was probably a little bit more value than my model would say, right? Because it had been sort of biased one way. Yeah, and it's a, this is a classic overreaction to Indy last week and just the sort of momentum that Indy has and the Andrew Luck narrative and blah, blah, blah. So it's not it's not hard to see why there's value on Kansas City in this game. That, that obviously does not mean that Kansas City is going to cover. I'm just saying that it's clear why there's value here. There are a ton of narratives here with that, that sort of, uh, I mean, that are mostly against Kansas City. One, there's one big narrative in Kansas City's favor, I think, and that's that Andy Reid has traditionally been so good off the bye. But that's counteracted by the fact that the narrative is Andy Reid has struggled in the playoffs. Although I actually, you know, he's, you could also say that's Alex Smith that struggled in the playoffs too, right? Well, that's one of the things that people have said, like the, the Andy Reid in the playoffs has never had a quarterback like Pat Mahomes. It's, well, well, nobody's ever had a quarterback like Pat Mahomes, but he had Donovan McNabb in the playoff for years. Uh, Kingsbury did at Texas Tech. He had a True. quarterback just like Pat Mahomes. In fact, it and was. He also Pat- had Baker Mayfield. Yep. And Davis Webb. Isn't it interesting this like Baker Mayfield post mortem? He was by far the best player in the draft. The Patriots were trying to trade to get get him and all this kind of stuff. When at the time when they drafted him, people were like, "What are the Browns doing?" Yeah, it was a surprise. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, but but with the other narratives here, tell me what you think of these. Um, I could these are the narratives I I could think of. Um, Kansas City has limped down the stretch. And that's coincided with them uh, being without Kareem Hunt. Um, nah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, you have, matters, it doesn't matter that much. It's Mahomes' first playoff start. Yeah. And apparently there's some, I, I heard some uh, people talking about that players making their first playoff start have been traditionally really bad against the spread. Yeah. I mean, these are all the reasons that this line is short. This line should be seven in my mind. So. Right. Well, these are narratives that are sort of saying that, Oh, okay. You think the narratives are driving the price. I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Can we move on to the NFC? We can. We both like the Rams minus seven. Although that's, is it a true seven? It's like seven and a quarter. Our friend Preston said that it's minus six and a half, minus 120 in town. So I think we just call it seven. It's fine. Okay. We gave ourselves the lack of the benefit of the doubt in KC. We can give ourselves the benefit of the doubt here. Yeah, I got down at six and a half, actually. Most of my, well, half my position, half is at seven reduced. Roger, roger. Uh, That's my favorite bet of the week. And the yeah. Rams, I mean, the Rams, I mean, I think this is another overreaction too. Do you remember early in the season when people thought that the Cowboys stunk said, and, and. No, but I said this earlier this week. I mean, do you remember when people were talking about the Rams going undefeated? Yeah. Like, like the Rams being like historically good. And Jason Garrett was going to get fired. All of a sudden they lost Cooper Cup and everyone's like, oh my God, they lost this great white receiver and all of a sudden they're lost. Um, yeah, and I think and they're a little healthier in defense now than they have been. They was like, this is this the Rams are going to boat race Dallas. Let's be honest. This is going to be ugly. I think I think so. I think Dallas is getting way too much credit. I think Dallas is like. I mean, they played a Seahawks team that had Brian Schottenheimer as their offensive coordinator and called an awful game. And uh, that was painful to watch. 
Brutal. It was painful because God, Russell Wilson is so good. When you unleash him, he is so good. That Imagine pass, he had a good coach. What's that? They just let him do his thing. Yeah. And that like, I mean, he throws the ball like his downfield passing is just unbelievable. Yeah, he's he's really good. Um, okay. And so we both like the Rams, and we're sad about Seattle, about Russell not being in there. And I'm sad about um, my futures on Seattle. I still have futures alive on the Cowboys. Okay, and then I like New Orleans minus eight. I liked them obviously better when it was seven and a half, what, a day and a half or two days ago. Um, now it's eight, but I still like New Orleans there. What do you make that line? Um, so Massey Peabody makes it 10.8. The player model makes it eight and a half. So let's overall you're, you're like a little over, on. like 10, but, but the thing is it's, that's the mean line and the mean doesn't translate to um, it doesn't tra- like eight and nine are pretty dead. So, I mean, 10 isn't take, a dead number of course, but New Orleans minus seven. Would I take New Orleans minus seven? Is that the question or did I? That's the I would, I would. Minus seven, minus one twenty. So I would make unregressed the true price on New Orleans minus seven, um, minus one thirty-eight, not factoring the market. Got it. So I'll let leave that to you whether that's good enough. Uh, like, part of it, yeah. I mean, I was going to say that these are games that are generally more. You're getting a higher percentage of action from the public than from sharps um, than a normal game than a normal NFL game. So how did Philly, did you do game grades for last week? How did Philly look in your game grades? I, I didn't actually, I didn't get around to doing that. Well, did Philly improve their rating from last week or not? Um, let's see. They were 2.8. They're 2.82 now. Last week they were a pulling up the wild card ratings. Um, 2.75. Marginally improved. Yeah. Marginally improved. Yeah, I, I watched mean, that I game. Think... It was yeah. no, I, I was, I, it was an entertaining game, and I feel like Philadelphia does. They do seem like a team that has another level they can, they can hit. But um, do you but, think? But do do they, you... I mean, like <laughs> we ended up having Philly in the second half plus three. Um, which one? And I felt really, I felt actually very comfortable about when the game, when the second half bet came out. And so I was, I was happy with that. But I mean, the reality is they were not far away from not covering that. You know, they, you had, you had a situation where the Bears, you know, scored with what, I don't know, four minutes left or whatever and ran a dumbass play for the two point conversion. Um, we very easily could have gotten that two-point conversion, gone up by seven. Um, you know, it's Nick Foles keeps flipping the coin. This is Preston made this analogy. He keeps flipping the coin and, and betting heads, and it keeps coming up heads. And at some point, you'd think that that's going to change. But um, he's he's definitely unbeatable right now. But the strength of the Eagles isn't their offense. It's their defense. They, they're, they're de- their offense is a little bit below average, according to my numbers right now with Foles, but they have a very good defense, and which had underachieved earlier in the year. They had a ton of injuries early on. They're a little bit more healthy in the secondary. But 
Well, it's not. It doesn't even. Their team that maybe doesn't even matter, right? Because the strength is in their pass rush. And their strength pass isn't. Rush, their strength is in their pass rush, so that, so it can mask who's in the secondary. It's true. So the question is, how will their pass rush do against the Saints' uh, well-rested offensive line? I think the Saints are going to win this game by double digits also. So do you think that the the first meeting of these teams when New Orleans boat raced the Eagles, and that was what? I think that was the biggest blowout of this season. It was like 49 to 7 or something like that. And like, do you think that has any impact on this line or should it have an impact on this line? I think it should have zero, and I don't think it has any. Because, like, you just ran the numbers. The numbers should arguably be higher than they are just from a pure power rating standpoint. And so oh, the – good. Well, you say pure power rating standpoint. How do you treat the New Orleans game week 17 where they their defense played the first half of the game, Teddy Bridgewater played the entire game, um, they rested some offensive line on the, Yeah, I mean – so need they, to actually remember what we're talking about. We just, no, I, I know. You should throw that game, though. And and I I'm waiting at like twenty percent or something like that for, but I feel like, and that's an arbitrary number because I feel like I you can't throw it completely out. Like some teams played with nothing to play for and and rested some players and played much better. And I think um, there probably is a little bit of signal there. I just don't think there's a lot. Yeah, I just throw it out. You're not the other samples. Um, all right, that's that's our that's a wrap. Anything else you want to talk about before the uh, divisional round starts? No, I think that's it. I think we'll, we should have a lot to talk about next week, though. Well, we have a, a surprise to talk about, but we'll, we'll keep listeners hanging on that. Surprise? I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. What's going on? Do I know what you're talking about, or is it a surprise to me also? I think you know, if you think about it. Are you getting, getting married? No, we'll have, we'll, we'll have something to debrief next week. Okay. Uh, talk to you guys next week. Thanks all. Bye. Yeah, Sam Hahn, rapping rockers.